Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. feel is such a real and true and powerful account of Jesus Christ, God, entwining with his people here on earth. And that's us in this room. And um, before we kind of dive into scripture, I'd love just thinking about how how we can adopt a really open and curious attitude um, one of honesty and trueness, and um, I guess for some people in this room that will mean really reveling in the joy uh, of, of what this season has brought them. You know, some, some seasons are full of joy, and for other people it may mean sitting in the very real discomfort of pain and suffering. And this kind of, um, I call it poise. Is poise even a word? It's poise a word, yes, okay, poise. This poise, we will learn. Um, I, I, it seems very important to the work of Christ. Um, and I, I just want to tell you some, a little something about trees, which will make sense in a moment. But I do a lot of walking with my husband, and um, one day we were walking, and he noticed these really, really big trees. And, um, and sort of said, well, look, look, babe, look at those trees. And there didn't seem to be anything really remarkable about them at all. But he explained to me that um, certain trees, and these being one of them, forgive me, I don't know the name, they grow in a way which gives room to their neighbor. So um, if you imagine a group of trees, and on one side of the tree there might just be bare trunk, and on the other side that's their branches, and the side of the bare trunk is where the other tree grows their branches. And it's like they allow, the trees allow each other, through the network uh, of roots under the ground, they allow each other space to grow and to be nourished. And why am I talking about trees? Well, um, because I think that in an environment like church, we grow up alongside others, don't we? And everyone has equal need for nourishment and growth. And so as we adopt this really open and curious attitude, remember that all of us are really different and and life will look different for different people. And so it's really good just to accept, sit in that place of acceptance. Okay, so we're going to dive into the Bible this evening. Um, As John's already talked about, we're continuing our series on hope. So uh, we've looked at hope for forgiveness over the month of August, hope for the future, hope for redemption. And today's talk is hope for healing. And it is my hope that in my attempt (laughs) to, um, to, to just put to you some observations that I have seen in this passage... Um, that you may be able to catch, or that we may be able to catch, because we're all in this together, right? It's not like I'm telling you we are in this together. We may be able to catch a glimpse just of God's endless, powerful love for each one of us. Um, If you have your Bible, please turn to Luke 8, verses 40 to 56. Um, It is a reasonably long passage, 
Um, sorry, it's a bit small up there, but I'm going to speak it. So just feel free to shut your eyes, walk around, doodle, whatever you need to do to connect with scripture. Just feel free. Um, you're going to hear my voice for, well, you're going to hear my voice for a while, but I'm going to speak from the Bible. So here we go. Luke 8, beginning at verse 40. Now, when Jesus came back to Galilee, the crowd received him and welcomed him gladly, for they were all waiting and looking for him. And a man named Jairus, who had for a long time been a director of the synagogue, and falling at the feet of Jesus, he begged for him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed together around him, almost suffocating him. And a woman who had suffered from a flow of blood for 12 years and had spent all of her living upon physicians and couldn't be healed by anybody, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who is it who touched me? And when all were denying it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press you in on every side. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I perceive that healing power has gone forth from me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came up trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people for what reason she touched him and how she had been instantly cured. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, your confidence and trust in me has made you well. Go, enter into peace, untroubled, undisturbed well-being. While he was still speaking, a man from the house of the director of the synagogue came and said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not weary and trouble the teacher any longer. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not be seized with alarm or struck with fear. Simply believe in me as able to do this, and she shall be made well. When he came to the house, he permitted no one else to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother, and all were weeping for and bewailing her. But he said, don't weep, for she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him to scorn him, knowing full well that she was dead. And grasping her hand, he called, saying, Child, arise from the sleep of death. And her spirit returned from death, and she arose immediately. And he directed that she should be given something to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged no one to tell, charged them to tell no one what had occurred. What? Wow. What a passage. <laughs> um, it, it's just mind-blowing what you can find in this passage. Um, and as I've already alluded to, I'm just going to offer you some observations. And there is so, so, so much to say. I, I, I couldn't possibly cover everything that you can find in this passage. Um, so I've had to be quite sort of selective in my offering to stay, you know, so we're not here all night. Um, and a couple of, of weeks ago when I was working on this talk, um, I was feeling quite sort of like, uh, well, smug is probably not the wrong word, not the right word, but I was like, yeah, my talk's coming together. I'm like feeling it. This is great. It's starting to flow. And um, so I uh, sp spoke to my husband and said, babe, my, you know, my talk's coming together and everything. And so he was like, 
Um, not many of you will know Paul in here, I don't think. But it, those who do will know he is the most straight-talking person ever, right? <laughs> and, like, and so he's like, so, um, well, so what's your experience of uh, physical pain and healing? And I was like, oh, well, um, yeah, well, this is what I'm going to say. And I said what I was going to say, and it just sounded, like, really bad. And I was like, oh, God, oh, no. Um, and so I went off and got this book that I was reading about, you know, someone who'd been in pain and suffering and, and started waving it around as if this somehow gave me the experience that I needed to be able to teach on this subject. And so, again, he said, oh, okay, just blank face. So, so what's your experience of, of physical healing and, and pain and suffering? And I was like... Oh, <laughs> um, well, uh, I, 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 you know, in fairness to me, I have received healing for my back. I was told I would never run again, and now I can run. Yes, thank you, Lord. Um, and I've had a baby. I've been in labor. But that's about the extent of it, okay? Um, and I realized as I talked with Paul the absolute enormity of this subject, sensitivity and size of it. It's an enormous, enormous subject. Um, and I also realized that whilst I really do like to know a lot about a lot, everything about everything, you know, I like, there's a part of me that would like to stand here and say, yeah, I know everything. I just don't. <laughs> and um, I am very naive when it comes to physical pain or death and heal and on physical healing but i am not naive when it comes to emotional or spiritual or mental healing either have experienced it firsthand or by with someone um in immediate family okay so i'm saying this just to share my heart but also because um if i say something in this talk in one of my observations and you think to yourself this woman has got absolutely no idea what she's talking about i know about this well that's it's probably because I don't know what I'm talking about. And I just ask you, in some ways, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, you may know a lot more about this than I do. So I just ask for you to extend me your grace. And remember that God knows everything about everything. And don't let anything that I say that you think she hasn't got a clue get in the way of what God is doing here tonight. That's, that's my request from you. Okay, my first observation is really very simple, um, and it's the importance of we've already, as we as we have already tried to introduce, um, of holding the space um, or life or situations with openness and welcome curiosity, watching, waiting, and welcoming what would come. It is well. It seems, according this to this passage, really vital. Let's look at it. Um, the opening lines say that the crowd received him and welcomed him gladly, for they were all waiting and looking for him. They welcomed him gladly, and they were waiting and looking for him. When I read this, I was reminded of another passage, which is in Mark, Mark 6, 5 to 6, which says, And he, Jesus was not even able to do was not even able to do even one work of power there except that he laid hands on a few sickly people and cured them and he marveled because of their unbelief or lack of faith in him and and this 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 line itself is jam packed with implications but 
I, I would encourage you to notice any tendency uh, to interpret this as, I don't have enough faith. Or, I need more faith. Or, there's something wrong with my faith. And the reason that I say this is because this is a re a quite a sort of binary or black and white perspective. And it supposes that the power or the lack of power is somehow to do with us or our lack of faith or our amount of faith. How does our faith measure up? If my family member isn't healed or I'm not healed and someone else, or, and, and someone else is, then maybe it's because um, I haven't got as much faith as that person who got, whose family member got healed. And the problem is with this perspective is that it makes, it makes it all about us. And it introduces fear. Oh, if I'm not faithful enough, then, then maybe God won't heal me. But hold on. Jesus tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And we're also told that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of faith and of love and of sound mind. Fearing makes us look inward, not outward. And Jesus, I think, at this moment in my life, I think, I just put to you perhaps, he may be referring here to openness of heart towards God of being open and not closed. Do you see the difference? You know, if you've just got an open heart, that's just about being open, as opposed to having faith, having, fighting with faith. When we are closed, may, very little may be able to happen. I don't know, I, I get that in my life when I'm closed. And I think this is because God doesn't force himself on us. Do you know what I mean? People here may know that when um, people who have more physical power than us, either spiritually, mentally, or physically, when they force themselves upon us, really bad things happen. Really bad things happen. And God gives us a choice. <laughs> and, and I offer you a perspective of Jesus... When you say Jesus marveled at the lack of faith, I, I offer you to say, Jesus, I offer you the perspective of Jesus marveling at people's choices to remain close to him, as opposed to trying harder. I'll, I'll leave that, I'll leave it with you just to weigh up for yourselves. Uh, but I did find it very interesting to see that Luke found it necessary to include in his writing the part of the account which sets the scene for the miracles. So that is the, you know, the attitude of the people, or to put it another way, their openness of heart. And they were really open. They were welcoming him. They were waiting and looking for him. And it reveals to us the importance of this, of being open to Jesus. And let's remember that um, uh, uh, Jesus, is, Jesus appeared to his followers after his death, and his followers didn't recognize him. I'm thinking of Mary at the tomb. I'm thinking of the road to Emmaus. I'm thinking of uh, the second catch of the fish. They didn't recognize him. Jesus was right there. 
They didn't see it was him. And this is people who, who like, walked with him every day. So if it happened to them, there is a strong possibility that it could happen to people in this room. Jesus walking, talking, sharing with us, and we can't see. And is it the pain that stops us from being able to see? <laughs> How many times in my life have I been in pain and confused and in a really, really terrible place? And it's when I look back. It's when I look back when I'm through it that I can see he was there all along. It's easy to look back, isn't it? But when you're in it, it's really tough. So I really encourage you to, to sit with this poise, you know, through your life. As you wake, work, eat, sleep, love, question, experience what you're experiencing. I've, I've begun to challenge myself to do this and I've found that um, even when I'm in discomfort, in whatever way I may be, by being aware and being open and accepting and not fighting, God is able to move and do his work. It's really hard, though. <laughs> it's really, I find it really hard. So that was my first point. Adopting a welcome, opening, and, uh, 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 and just open, accepting poise for the divine to come in and do the work that only, that only he can do. So let's look at his work. Well, to understand his work we need to understand his people. And what we find in Luke that we've been reading about are these two interwoven journeys of very different people who both experienced healing and did so in very different ways. On the one hand, we have the woman with bleeding. We don't even know the name of this dear woman. She's very, she's very obscure, really. And on the other hand, we have Jairus, who we know had for a long time been the director of the synagogue. Very different people in very different circumstances. So let's look at this in a little more depth. Okay, so we'll take the woman. Um, and this woman, uh, I just feel to say, like, uh, do you all know that the issue with bleeding was from her womb? Do you know that? Everyone, I just want to make sure that... So it's not like she's got an issue with bleeding, like she's cut her arm or something. Yeah, it's from her womb that she has got an issue with bleeding for 12 years, okay? Um, so, and her story has really spoken to me like you would not believe in my life. I have really been that woman full of shame, humiliation, pain on the fringes, afraid of what other people think. A lot of dirtiness inside, a lot, a lot of dirtiness inside. And what Luke has chosen to keep a written account of, this is, this is going back thousands of years, he's chosen here to keep this written account of a deeply personal, deeply human and life-altering condition, private condition. It's a very private condition affecting very personal and intimate areas of life. Sexuality, sexual intimacy, reproduction, marriage, ability to work, integration in society. And, and this, these subjects affect both women and men, of course. Just because we're talking about a woman doesn't mean that it doesn't affect men. And I would be pretty miffed if I had a constant period for 12 years, yeah? It would be really annoying, but many 
oh, many aspects of my life would just carry on. I'd still be able to come and talk to you. Uh, Anthony would still give me a hug. I'd still go to parties. Um, my friends would hold me when I was upset or crying. But not so for this woman. My understanding of her condition at the time would be that um, she lived in a society in which everything about her life would be marked by this condition. She would be seen as someone unclean, unable to integrate into life with other people. It's likely she'd be unmarried um, and have no source of income because the male, the, the, the husband, was a source of income. And, and any source of income that she'd had, maybe from inheritance or something, had already been spent on physicians trying to heal her. Her position is absolutely desperate. It really, really, really is desperate. And I think that in every way possible, this woman was in a very deep state of anguish. And unsurprisingly so. And just allow someone to come to your mind who might be in this position. It may be you. It may be someone that you know. Or it may not be anybody that you know and you just, just, just think about someone. Just allow it and just hold it for a moment. As, as we hold this image, let's think of Jairus. So, Jairus, first big difference. We know his name. He is a somebody. And he has been for a long time the director of the synagogue. You know, people know him. He has, as it would seem, a high and respected place in society. He would have had access to money and a home. And we know he has a daughter because it's his daughter that he comes to Jesus about. He probably might have had responsibility for a number of people, maybe seen as someone with dignity and respect and honor, high moral values. Someone who's like got it all together, you know? Someone who you would respect. So maybe just let someone come to mind who might fit that description, who, who you really think, yeah, I really respect that person. And now with these two images, the image of the nameless, obscure woman and the image of the respected leader, um, if you're able, just consider the following words. Abandonment to self. And I think we can see something here in the healing, which may have started with abandonment to self. And let me explain why I think this is. The woman who is not allowed to be with others, who is considered dirty, who is considered to have done something wrong because of an illness that can't be healed, she abandons herself and her place in society and pushes through the crowd. She touches and pushes past other people as she went. This would have been a really big thing for her to do. She joins in with others and abandons a sense of embarrassment and shame that she would have carried for all those 12 years. I really think this would have been a terribly brave thing to do. And Jairus, a man of respect and honor and of high standing, he abandons himself and his place in society. And what does he do? He falls at the feet of Jesus and he begs. People in these positions, they don't beg. Because they've got it all together. 
You know, when you've got everything, you, you've got everything together, but they don't fall at someone's feet and start begging. And I, I, and I think, and thinking as well of, of Jairus, I think that Jesus' robe would have been trailing over his feet as well, probably. So maybe he touched his robe too. And for both of them, I think that they, it would have been terribly brave uh, acts. And another word I could use in place of self here when I talk about abandonment to self, maybe ego. It's important that we know, in my opinion, it's important that we know that ourselves are really very important to God. So much so that God incarnated himself into a man. Divine became human in order to reconnect with ourselves. Our true selves are just unimaginably valuable, unimaginably wonderful. And Jesus calls us, I think, to recklessly live from this place of truth, which is really vulnerable because it's the essence of who we are. Our true self is okay with being wrong because it doesn't need to prove itself. Our true self is okay with, with achieving or not achieving because it doesn't need to do either. It doesn't need to be big or small. It can just rest in each moment that God presents. And I think of like a child of God. I think of Eli coming up and being next to his dad. That, that freedom that a child has. And, and I, I, this is something that I do know about. <laughs> this whole like cutting back of myself, of, of my ego self, you know, not my true self is wonderful, but these other things that come to me, which I try and prove myself and be good and all this stuff, it's just, just not necessary. I f but I found it to be essential to growth and healing and restoration and really living. <laughs> and Jesus puts it in many ways. He tells us about fruit trees that need to be pruned back in order to bear fruit. We're told about the, he tells us about the grain of wheat that needs to die in order to, to, to reproduce. We're, we're told in the Bible about being re refined by fire. The gold being refined by the fire, you know, it, the stuff around the outside burning off. And, and I believe that this may be in relation to a part of ourselves that really must die or be abandoned the part that's constructed by society that labels us as either good or bad or, label, or someone else puts a label upon us. And this ego, it steals the truth of who we really are. We are already someone of so much value. Uh, Richard Raw, a Franciscan priest and author, would call this ego that I'm trying to express the false self. And I think we can catch a glimpse of something incredible with, woman, with the woman and with Jairus. And we can see that they abandon this false self and reach forward from their true selves. Right where they find themselves. And in this way, they lose those shackles that they've had. Perhaps this is what is meant by when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And for these two people, what seems to drive them is a real desperation, a desperation for healing, for more, for a saviour, for hope. 
And then out of this desperation, what we see are two individuals who enter into intimacy with God. And this is my, this is the next observation, intimacy with God. It just blows my mind when I'm thinking about this. We have this woman who, out of her deepest, darkest, most intimate need, reached out to touch Jesus, who says, someone did touch me, for I perceive that healing power has gone forth from me. It's this touch, this need, this connection. Do you see? It's the connection. It's deeply personal and deeply intimate. All the others were touching Jesus, and Jesus knew this is different. There's something different about this. What is it? And listen, like, it's so intimate, Jesus doesn't even know who it is. Jesus. I wonder why that is. And from this deepest, rawest connection is the source of this woman's healing. Jesus says, someone did touch me, for I have perceived that healing power has gone out of me. And Jairus, having fallen at the feet of, of Jesus, revealing his, his intimate fear, he's in a terrible place as well. His daughter has just died. I can't imagine the extent of his pain and confusion. And again, we see something intimate. It's, it's, he, he's in a room, and Jesus says, permitted no one else to enter. It's a different type of intimacy. Jesus shuts the door, and he's with just a few people, close people. And this is the place from where the healing comes, in a small community. And so here we have accounts, glimpses of intimacy with Jesus, with God, in brokenness and pain and, and from very different circumstances. And how different are all of our experiences in life? I've already said this. Dealing with the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. And look at all of you. I've got this, all these beautiful faces looking back at me. Everyone completely different. Every one of your experiences completely different. Some, some people here will be loud. Some people will be quiet. Some comic, others deep. And the next and last very simple observation we can see in these two accounts are two very different experiences. And this is my point. Jesus never does the same thing twice. Firstly, the woman is silent. She doesn't say a word. And perhaps you're more like that. Maybe you're quiet. Your connection with God comes from a deep, quiet place. Or perhaps you're more like Jairus. He's loud. People know about his situation. He's vocal about it and he expresses himself. But both make themselves known. It's not just because Jairus speaks up that he makes himself known. God doesn't miss a thing. He, does not miss, he has not missed any one of you in here. Not any one of you. And what I want, would like us to learn from this is that it's okay to be you. It's okay to be me. You don't need to conform to another way, another's way or another method of achieving intimacy. 
you can just, from where you are, reach. And this may be loud, it may be quiet, it may be still, it may be with dancing, it may be falling flat on your face or with tears, it may be with laughter. I just love, love, love that these accounts are so different. And Jesus knows, he knows who these people really are. And even at the end of the healings, right, even at the end, um, it, two very different things happen. Notice that he, the woman is, her circumstances are such that she's brought up and she has to speak out in front of the people. She speaks out. And Jairus, he says, don't tell anybody about this. Isn't that amazing? It's like he knows them. And I feel like maybe it's because maybe the woman might have gone back to, to hiding away. And he needed her to, to, to even after her healing, to, to speak out. And maybe Jairus might have boasted about it. Like me, I probably would have boasted about it. <laughs> and he, maybe he needed him to say, listen, you know, that's, that's your ego wanting to boast. Just don't tell anybody anything. And in this way, Jesus knows us so well. So we may face some coming out of our comfort zone. You know, there, there might be some discomfort in getting intimate with God. But I believe that we do it from the place of our true selves and allow others to do the same. Not everyone's going to look like us. <laughs> he, he, Jesus is the way. He is the way. We can try to figure out the way, figure it all out. We can, we can do, or we can say, if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to get healed. If, I, if I've got enough faith, then I'm going to get healed. And that's not because we're bad people. It's because we want, we, we want God. We want his healing. But then life changes, or we figure out that actually that isn't the way, that, that we've been trying to figure stuff out, and we just come back to falling at the feet of Jesus, to, to, to reaching out for intimacy with him. And we're reminded that we are we and he is he. <laughs> and only he can be God, right? We can't box him in. We can't fathom his ways. We just know, must know the intimacy, being with him, being entwined and literally growing from him is what is required from us. And somehow things make their only sense in this capacity. Isaiah 6, 1 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, in a vision, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the most holy part of the temple. The train of his robe filling the most holy part of the temple. What is his temple now? us we are his temple and we're, by us touching his robe he wants to fill our most holy part the most intimate part of us the true real part that 
that is wonderful and beautiful and good and pure and true and lovely and wholesome. People, someone here needs to know that you are good. That you are lovely and wholesome and good. And God knows that and he sees it and he has seen it from your very conception. And so we can have hope. <laughs> we can. Sometimes Jesus laid hands on people, and this was far more intimate, I think, maybe than even that. The woman and Jairus were at the real end of their power. And this is where the power transfer takes place. When they're at the end of their power, there's nothing left. How many times in my life have I been like, there's nothing left? I'm at the end here. There is nothing left. I, it's over to you, Jesus, because I've come to the end. That's it. And then my powerless power, the power that I think that is powerful but really isn't, is exchanged for God's power in my life. And not always the way that I would want it. Not always the way that maybe my ego would want it. I've learned to see that the problems in my marriage... The problems I could see in my husband were really nothing compared to my issues that I carry. I had to take the log out of my own eye that had been carrying around for years. God had to show me, and it's hard, man, it's so hard. And my marriage has been restored from the brink of divorce. Honestly, from the brink of divorce. I've learned that I might not get what I really want in order to get what I really want. I've learned that I must let go in order to gain. And I've learned that I must stop in order to accelerate. And I've learned that I'm so much more than what I really think. I'm so much more than, than even what I hope that you might think of me. <laughs> and it's from this world-altering, crazy perspective, Jesus, God turns it upside down. It's from the bottom and not the top. It's from the darkest pit of pain. If we can just reach out or if we can just open our hearts, if we can just open our hearts and touch the train of his robe, an essence of God, then here lies the power exchange. We exchange our weakness for his strength. Our weakness is made perfect. We read all these things, don't we? We read, we, you know, we go from glory to glory. But we can have hope that even in our pain, not pain, not denying our situations, not pretending that they're not there, or trying to be like someone else, or trying to figure it all out. We, but in the abandonment to self, in the truth, in the intimacy, and in our own unique and wonderful way, the healing that we seek will come to us. I believe it. 
I just want to stand here for a moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to this place. Lord God, would you reveal to us the truth of who we are? Reveal to us the truth of what we need to let go of, God. Reveal to us the truth of your glory and your healing power. Reveal to us the truth of your love. I love you, God. 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 God, you are love. God, you are truth. God, you are good. I love you, God. I love you, God. So um, Pete is going to come and we're going to worship God. Um, and just, just like, to remind us all that, um, you know, we're all in different places. Some people might be in a really great place. And if you are in a great place, um, this is amazing. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. And for those who might not be in a good place and who would welcome prayer and it's okay if you want to do business with God on your own it's fine if you just need to sit and do business that's fine but if you would like some prayer as we're worshiping I just ask you to lift up a hand and for those people who feel that they have got it in them to pray for others just go and pray sensitively and remembering that everyone's experiences are so different. Thank you for listening to me. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.